So good to see all of you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us for worship, whether it's in person or online. We want to greet all of you, and as we did in our MPT video, I want to give a special greeting to all of you who are joining us at our Church Anywhere microsite down on the old south side this morning. So glad to welcome you into our service. If you've got a Bible, I want you to grab it and go with me to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. And when you get to 2 Corinthians, I want you to find chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to spend our time today. Now, you just heard about Giving Tree uh, on the MPTV announcement and the fact that we have for the very first time over a thousand kids that we're going to provide Christmas presents for this year. It's just a part of a busy time of year for us because next Friday, right here in the worship center, we're going to give out uh, around 500 Thanksgiving meals for folks through our impact center and our impact campuses. And then right when that ends, we're going to flip the script and we're going to go right into Christmas with Giving Tree. You can stop by the commons on your way out today and grab a Giving Tree tag or two so that you can uh, participate in that because we're going to need your help to meet that many kids' Christmas needs. We're going to need your help in a big way. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. This is the second week of our message series called A Generous Life. And if you're a guest with us, I want you to know first, we're so glad that you're here. What a joy it always is to welcome guests into our services, whether you're in person or online. The second thing I want to tell you is that every November, uh, we set aside some time to talk about money from a very open and a very honest perspective. And we do that for two fundamental reasons. First of all, because we talk about money because no one else does. And what I mean by that very simply is that I have found in my years of being a pastor that most people spend their entire lives growing up into adulthood, never having had a significant conversation with anyone about money. And when I say a conversation about money, I'm talking about how money works and how to handle money in a way that leads to financial success in your life. And so because of that, a lot of people grow into adulthood without any real knowledge about money, and they make a lot of really bad financial decisions and choices as a result that gets them into a lot of trouble. So we talk about money, first of all, because no one else does. Second, we talk about money because the Bible talks about money a lot. In fact, You know, it wouldn't surprise you today for me to say that in the Bible, there are over 500 verses combined about prayer and faith. Those are two fundamental aspects of the Christian faith, uh, prayer and faith. The Bible talks about them a lot. But how, how many of you know that the Bible talks about money and possessions in over 2,000 verses of the Bible, depending on what criteria you use to determine that. It can be anywhere from 2,000 to about 2,500 verses in the Bible related to money and possessions and things like that. If you read your Bible, you'll find consistent teaching about money from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, which means you'll find consistent teaching about money literally from the beginning to the end, from cover to cover. And what the Bible teaches us is it's possible to handle money, whatever amount you have, whatever amount God has entrusted to you, whether it's a little or a lot, it's, it's possible to handle money in a way that brings genuine freedom and genuine purpose and genuine joy into your life in a world where most people are frustrated when it comes to issues about money. But that only happens, that freedom and that purpose and that joy only happens if you follow the instructions. Now, let me just pause for a moment and tell you that having given you those two fundamental reasons why we set aside time every November to talk about money, there is one other reason why we spend some time every November talking about money. And I'm going to be really honest with you just for a couple of minutes. Uh, We have a large church that makes a large impact on our immediate community in the world. 
I mean, on our community, I just told you, next Friday we're going to be providing 500 uh, Thanksgiving meals for people in this area. We've got 1,000 kids through our Giving Tree Ministry uh, that we're going to impact for Christmas this year. We, we make a large impact on our community and the world, and we do it every single day. We've been doing that for a long, long time. We give a lot of money away. We meet a lot of physical needs. We provide a lot of opportunities for people who would otherwise find themselves in desperate situations. We support global mission partners in global ways ways who are making significant impacts around the world. We have four different church campuses. We've got this campus here in Greenwood and three campuses in the Indianapolis area. Uh, the operations costs, the staff costs, we have a big staff. We have close to 100 people on our payroll in some form, whether full-time or part-time. We take seriously our responsibility to provide for them and take care of their families. And I can go on and on and on. And so I tell you, every year in November that we talk about money because, quite honestly, it takes money to do ministry on the level that we do it here at Mount Pleasant. And so because of that, we talk about money because no one talks about money, because the Bible has so much to say about money, because we are involved in ministry on a high level. We talk about money. But having said all of that, I can tell you, I can stand up here today and tell you with integrity, which means with honesty that I love talking about money every November because one of the deepest desires of my heart is to help all of you, everyone who listens to me, everyone who joins in, in our worship on some level, I have a deep desire to help you discover financial peace and financial freedom in your lives. Being a good steward of whatever amount of money God has entrusted to us is a big deal to me. It's a big deal for me in my personal life and so it's a big deal for me in your personal lives as well. And I want to try to help you with regard to that. That's one of the reasons why every year in November, I trot out these four financial principles that we can find in the book of Proverbs, which is probably the single best book on money in the whole world. Uh, the four principles in Proverbs are keep track. First of all, if you want to be a good steward of whatever God has entrusted to you, you need to keep track, which means you need to handle your money from a position of knowledge. You need to know what your financial condition is. And friends, as much as that sounds like a no-brainer, so many people don't. Their financial lives are such a mess, they don't really have a position of knowledge when it comes to their, their finances. Proverbs 13, 16 says, The prudent man acts out of knowledge, but a fool exposes his folly. The second thing Proverbs tells us when it comes to handling money is we need to plan ahead. You, you're, you're not bulletproof. I'm not bulletproof. None of us can go through life without any consideration of the future. So we have to have a plan when it comes to the way we manage our money that involves what we do right now today, but also involves the future. Proverbs chapter 21 and, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 5 reminds us that the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste. No planning at all leads to poverty. Then the book of Proverbs tells us that we need to save consistently. This has got to be an important part of your financial plan for your life. We've got to save consistently. And anybody can save money. Anybody? Not just people who are wealthy. Anybody can save money. Proverbs 13, 11 says, uh, he, uh, the, what's it say? Um, <laughs> I just, I just had a brain cramp there. Pro, uh, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little, everyone say little by little, little by little makes it grow. Wow. Whoa. Okay. And then finally, the book of Proverbs tells us that we need to give habitually. In other words, God's plan for us when it comes to the way we manage whatever amount of money he entrusts to us includes generosity. And so I trot these out every year in November because they are a good foundation for a financial plan for your life. 
And if you follow those, I've told you over and over again, if we follow these four simple plans or these four simple uh, uh, pillars for financial management in our lives, we're going to experience financial success and financial freedom in our lives. Listen, I'm not especially smart or educated when it comes to money. No one ever spent any time talking to me about money or teaching me about money when I was young. When I went to Bible college and then spent some time in seminary, I never had a single class even remotely related to handling money. I guarantee you that most, if not all of you in here today know more about money than I do. But here's the thing about me. I have a simple mind, and sometimes that's okay. Because in my simple mind, I always look for some kind of a simple plan that works. That's all I'm concerned about at the end of the day, what works. And this works. Keep track, plan ahead, save consistently, and give habitually. They work for me, and they'll work for you if you will follow them. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on one aspect of this simple plan today as we think about what it looks like to live a generous life. And the part we're going to focus on is the part where we need to plan ahead. The, the uh, title of the message today is the power of a plan. As I said a little bit earlier, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 5 says the plans, everyone say plans, plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. In that same chapter, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 21, or yeah, verse 21 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. There's power in a plan when it comes to any area of your life, any area of your life, including how you handle money. And that brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where we're going to spend some time today. So, if you've got your Bibles open there and you're able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and our text is just really simple, just three verses. It's verses 6 through 8. I want you to follow along as I read. The Apostle Paul, of course, when we came together last week and began this a Generous Life series, uh, we started by talking about uh, what generosity looks like. And I think the message is called, Let's Start from the Beginning. And, and here's the deal. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, all the way through chapter 9, Paul writes about how we handle money. And he writes about it in the context of receiving an offering for the church in Jerusalem. When he was on his third missionary journey, he was receiving an offering for the church in Jerusalem because they were a very large church and they were very poor. There were several reasons why they were poor, and we don't have time to talk about them today. We talked about them last weekend. And so he, he receives this offering, and as he's encouraging the church in Corinth to give, he holds out as an example of generosity the churches in Macedonia, which were the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And he talks about them in the first seven verses of chapter 8 as a part of telling us what real generosity looks like. He says generosity is, is motivated by grace. It's separate from circumstances. It's joyful. It's sacrificial. It's voluntary. It's a privilege. It's an act of worship, and it should be a priority for all of us. But he keeps talking about uh, money. He keeps talking about generosity all the way through chapter 8 into chapter 9, and that brings us to verses 6 through 8. You listen as I read. Paul says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask for God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. All right, there are three things. I want to just explain those verses to you with three simple points. If you like to take notes, here's the first thing I want you to understand from those verses. Write down next to number one somewhere, the words a principle. 
of principle because that's the very first thing we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. In verse 6, we see this principle. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's the principle. And listen to me. Everyone look up here. As far as interpretation goes, it's, this is about as easy as it gets. It doesn't require a lot of explanation. Uh, Paul is basically telling us, the Bible is basically teaching us that what we receive in life is in direct proportion to what we give. What we receive in this life is in direct proportion to what we give. And this principle is so clear and so important that it's found throughout the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me give you some examples. First of all, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25 says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. What we receive in this life is in direct proportion to what we give. One man gives freely, as a result, gains even more. Another man withholds unduly, becomes to poverty. And then the proverb writer says, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. What we receive in this life is in direct proportion to what we give. But it's not just in the Old Testament. We saw it there in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9. It's in the New Testament also. Let me show you another place. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. I'm sure this is a familiar verse to many of you. Paul who also wrote the book of Galatians, says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, right? Everyone say right. A man reaps what he sows. What we receive in this life is in direct proportion to what we give. A man reaps what he sows. But here's what I want to show you uh, related to this uh, reference in Galatians, that this principle can be true in both a negative or a positive Context, Okay, because verse 8 goes on to say, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. What we receive in this life is in direct proportion to what we give. If we give all of our time and our energy and our activity to things that, that are, are disobedient to God, that dishonor God, then destruction is what we're going to receive as a result. But in contrast to that, the one who sows to please the Spirit, notice that's capital S, Spirit, Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. This is a fundamental principle that doesn't require a lot of explanation. What we receive in this life is in direct proportion to what we give. And that applies both to a positive context or a negative context. Now, we're looking at that principle today, this weekend, in the context of generosity. And so what Paul is telling us is that if we are generous with others, God will be generous with us. Paul says, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Let's talk about that word generously for just a moment. Highlight it, underline it, circle it in your Bible, whatever you like to do. In the original language of the New Testament, the Greek word that's translated generosity there, or generously there rather, is the word eulogia. And literally translated, it means blessing. That's what that word means. And so what Paul is saying is that if we generously bless someone, and we can do that in a variety of different ways, it doesn't just have to be financially. There's all kinds of ways we can be generous in our lives that blesses someone else. And so Paul says that if we generously bless someone else, God will generously bless us. Now, I want you to listen to me really, really close here so there's no confusion, no misunderstanding. This is the promise of the scriptures. This is the promise of the scriptures. When we bless others, however it happens, God promises that he will bless us. 
But having said that, let me just push the pause button for a minute and get really specific because this is where some people will sometimes push back against my teaching on this because there have always been people in the church and in the world who have taken this, this principle that when we bless others, when we generously bless others, God will generously bless us, who have taken this principle and abused it through extreme applications. This is like when you can't fall asleep and you're channel surfing and you see the televangelist and he says, if you sow $100, if you sow a gift of $100 into my ministry right now, I guarantee you, I promise you, you have my word that God will reward you with a harvest of $1,000. This is the kind of abuse that I'm talking about. And these people base their false teaching, and I believe that's false teaching. They base their false teaching on the premise that it's God's will for all of us to be wealthy. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. I don't have time to expand on that today. But having said that, having acknowledged that there are abuses to this teaching in the world and the church today, Here's what I want you to know. We cannot deny the presence of the biblical principle that when we are generous with others, God is generous with us. And we can't let someone's extreme teaching cause us to doubt or even worse, dismiss what the Bible teaches, what the Bible promises with regard to generosity. We can't let that happen. Somebody say amen to that today. We can't. There are always people who take the scriptures and twist them and abuse them to suit their own purposes. But that can't make us doubt or dismiss what the scriptures really say. And so here's what, we need to see, here's what we need to understand about this principle that whatever we receive in life is in direct proportion to what we give, this principle that if we give generously to God, God will give generously to us. Here it is. I want you to write this down somewhere. Generosity isn't a biblical guarantee of wealth. It's a biblical guarantee of blessing. Okay, I've got up here on the screen, just to make sure I know you get it, I want you to read it with me. Let me hear your voices. Generosity isn't a biblical guarantee of wealth, it's a biblical guarantee of blessing. Because I tell you every year, how many of you know this is true, that there are lots better ways that God can bless our lives than just putting a little bit more money in our pocket tomorrow. How many of you know that's true? I saw something on social media that said, gave you like four or five choices that you could have of course, it's all fictional, but one of them would be uh, if you knew, for example, you could choose between like four or five different things, and one of them was that you could be healthy for the next 20 or 25 years, and the others had to do with money. What would you choose? I'd choose the blessing of knowing that I could be healthy for the next 25 years. How about you? I mean, God's blessing comes into our lives in a lot of different ways, and we are short-sighted if we think the only way God ever blesses us is when it comes to more money. Generosity isn't a biblical guarantee of wealth. It's a biblical guarantee of blessing, however the blessing comes. Several years ago, there have been two times in my life when somebody has been generous enough to give me a car. Two times. And I am just so thankful both, both times because it met a need, a, a real big need in a specific period of time in my life. And I, I'm thankful to God for both families that did that. Their generosity was overwhelming to me. The first time, I'll just talk about the first time. The first time it happened, we were living in Oklahoma. And I got some funny stories about cars because I'm not a car guy. And I've driven some really bad cars in the past. Okay. So we, Sandy and I, we all, for many, many years, all we could do was afford one car. And so we only had one car. But then our kids started getting bigger and, and my life started getting 
busier as a church in Oklahoma was really starting to grow and uh, significantly, and we needed an extra car. So I got a car, and basically it was like driving a go-kart with doors on it, okay? Anybody ever have a car like that? Now, listen, I'm not a car person. I'm not, never have been. I mean, I'll see a car and I say, wow, I think that, that's, that's a really cool looking car or something like that. But I'm not a car person. I don't know a lot about cars. I don't have like dream cars. When I was in high school, I wanted a 1976 Camaro. I never got that. Uh, that's, that's a whole sad story I won't go into today. And that's the only time I ever wanted a car. But we need to get cars. So I had this car that was like a glorified go-kart with doors on it, and then it just, it just bit the dust finally, and it was done. It was just done. I actually got way more life out of it than I ever thought that I would. And so we need another car. Now, this is a period of time when Sam and I were really trying hard to be good stewards of the money God's entrusted us, which included generosity. We were really trying to be generous in our giving, our financial support of the church and other worthy causes. So I can remember praying and saying, God, I need a car, but I don't know how. I, I can't afford it. I don't know how I'm going to get it. And about that time, um, a man offered me a car. He, he didn't go to our church, but his daughter and son-in-law did, and uh, they, they lived in California. They would come visit all the time. They were retired, and they were well off financially, and uh, um, he, I guess, found out through his daughter that I needed a car, and he called me up one day, and he said, I got this, this car in Dallas because they had a home in California. They had a home in Dallas. They had a home in Tulsa, and uh, he said, I don't use it, and uh, you can have it. And I thought, I thought, wow, he and I had become friends over the years because when he, came, he loved to play golf and I loved to play golf. And every time he'd come to Tulsa, I would take him to play golf. Okay. So we had a great friendship and he gave me this car. It was a Ford Taurus station wagon. Okay. Not very cool, but I didn't care. And I got on a plane, and I flew to Dallas. A friend of mine in Dallas picked me up. He took me over to where the car was parked, and I got there. It was blue, and the paint was all oxidizing on it, and it looked really bad. The body was in good shape, and everything else was fine, but it just looked really bad. And I didn't care. I got back and uh, drove it to Tulsa. Now, what do you think would have happened if I had gone there, and my friend dropped me off, and I started looking at this car, and then I just uh, I turned my head to heaven. I said, God, you know what? Let's talk. I think I'm going to hold out for a better blessing. I'm thinking about a Lexus blessing today. <laughs> you think that would have worked with God? He would have been happy with that response? Absolutely not. So you know what I did? I got in that car and I drove back to Tulsa and I treated that car like it was a Lexus. I did. I actually had a little bit of money set aside and I went down and got a paint job, new paint job on it. Okay, same color. But it still, it, it still wasn't a very cool car. But I treated that car like it was a Lexus. I washed it and waxed it. I vacuumed it out almost every weekend. I took really good care of that car, and I drove it until the day it died. Okay? Generosity isn't a promise of wealth from God. It's a promise of blessing from God. However the blessing comes, somebody say amen to that today. This is the principle. What we receive in life is in direct proportion to what we give. Now, that's my story. That's not to say if you have a Lexus sitting around that you're not using that I wouldn't be open to receiving it. <laughs> but I'm still not a car guy. You know, if somebody came to me tomorrow and they said, Pastor, I need some help from you. I need some instruction from you, uh, some counsel from you on how to gain wealth. You know what I would do? I would point them to these four things. I say, then you need to do these four things when it comes to the way you handle your money, whatever amount you have, whether it's a little or a lot. You need to keep track. You need to handle it from a position of knowledge. You need to plan ahead. You can't foolishly think that tomorrow will never come and that you're never going to have a problem down the road. You've got to be prepared for the future. You need to save consistently, which is a big part of planning ahead. 
and you need to give habitually. You need to be generous. And you know what I would tell them? I would say, do not under any circumstances avoid number four because it's easy to do. Why? Because the first three make sense, right? You're trying to build financial health and financial wealth and financial freedom in your life. These make sense. Keeping track, handling what you have from a position of knowledge makes sense. Planning ahead makes sense. Saving consistently makes sense. But how in the world does this make sense when it comes to getting ahead financially speaking? How do we give ahead, get ahead when we're giving it away? How? By trusting in the promise of God, right? By trusting God's word to be true, by trusting this principle that says whatever we receive in life is in direct proportion to what we want. Give to what we give. And trusting in the blessing that God wants to bring into your life. You cannot ignore that final pillar. You've got to do all those things. That's the principle. Paul says in in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's the principle. What we receive in this life is in direct proportion to what we give. Here's the second second thing I want you to write down. I'm going to do these next two really quickly. The second thing we see in this text is a plan. Number one is a principle. Number two is a plan. We go back to verses 6 and 7, 2 Corinthians 9. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There's the principle. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it's in verse 7 where we see the plan, the importance of having a plan when it comes to managing money in this context, a plan with regard to generosity. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, what he's planned to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The message today is called the power of a plan. We give, our generosity is based on what we have decided, what we have planned in our heart to give. One of the absolute most important parts of managing whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you in a way that leads to a blessing is to manage it with a plan. And that plan needs to include generosity. It needs to include all of the other things that we're talking about, but it also needs to include generosity. There's a lot of reasons why people's financial lives are a mess, but one of the biggest reasons is they don't manage whatever God has entrusted to them with a plan. And so I apologize for the redundancy, but that's why I pull out these four things every single year over and over again because they give us a simple plan. You can follow this plan. Listen, you can tweak it. You can make it better. You can substitute words that sound more proficient, uh, more professional or whatever. But if you will follow this plan, you can find financial freedom and financial success. I'm not a financial planner. I don't spend my professional life helping people manage their money, but I'm a pastor who's had a lot of experience counseling people with regard to money. And I can tell you based on that personal experience, the majority of people who struggle with finances do so because they don't manage their money, whatever amount God has entrusted to them with a plan. I can even take that a step further and tell you that the majority of people I've counseled about finances and some of them financial lives have been in terrible condition, but the majority of people I've counseled with uh, regard to their finances don't struggle because they don't make enough money. They struggle because they just spend too much money, which is a result of not having a plan. Not having a plan, not managing your money with a plan. Every now and then I'll run across somebody who believes that because God is sovereign and what that means is because God is always in control of all things that it's foolish to plan, that it's a waste of time to plan, but that's not true. 
the Bible celebrates the wisdom of planning. Remember the verse that I share with you, Proverbs 20 and verse 5 says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Verse 21 of that same chapter, in the house of the wise are, choice, are, are stores of choice food and uh, wine, but a foolish man devours all that he has. Something like that. Did I say it wrong? Choice food and oil, okay. I got wine on the mind, I guess. Choice food and oil. But a foolish man devours all he has. If you look at this Bible in the Living Bible, which is a paraphrase, and when it gets down here to where my NIV Bible says, but a foolish man devours all he has, the Living Bible says, but a stupid man spends everything he gets. How telling is that? How about these words from Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 8? The proverb writer says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. So a prudent man, a wise and a prudent man is going to give thought to the way he handles money, and that's going to include having a plan for money, where a foolish man is just going to deceive himself into believing that he can just spend whatever comes in and not worry about it. How about these words from Jesus from Luke chapter 14? He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost and to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. So I'll stop right there. The Bible celebrates the wisdom of planning. Yes, God is a sovereign God. Yes, he is in control of all things. Yes, we can make plans in our heart and God can guide our steps in a different way at times. But the Bible celebrates the wisdom of planning and it talks about the foolishness of failing to plan. And we see this wisdom for planning to be generous in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, where Paul says, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, you need to make a plan for generosity. The easiest way to live a generous life is to make a plan that includes being generous. It's something my wife and Sandy and I have done for years and years and years as a part of our overall plan for managing money. And because living generous lives is so important to us that the plan that we have for generosity affects every other part of our financial life. The plan that we have for generosity affects what kind of house we live in. The plan that we have for generosity affects what kind of cars we drive. The plan that we have for generosity affects what kind of vacations we take. The plan for generosity affects how much money we save for the future because I'm not going to let anything become a substitute for our commitment to generosity. It's not going to happen. The simplest way for you to live a generous life is to manage whatever amount of God, money God has entrusted you with a plan that includes being generous. One more thing, and I'm going to get to the final point, which is really, really short. I don't know if this is true for you, but I was thinking about this this past week, and I know it's true for me. Um, whenever I make a plan for something, I can't wait for it to happen. I can remember when we lived in Oklahoma and our kids were pretty small. Uh, they were probably 10. Andrew was 10 or 11. Andrew, who was just out here a while ago do the community meditation, Tricia was like uh, 7 or 8. And I wanted to take the kids to Disney World. I'd never been to Disney World. I want to take them to Disney World. We didn't make very much money. We didn't have anything. Sandy was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, I was a pastor at a church that at that time wasn't very large, but I wanted to do it. And so put together a plan on how to do it because I, ha I was getting a certain amount of money kind of unexpectedly. And I said, oh, that's going to be the foundation for this Disney trip. And then I told the kids, I said, we're going to be eating hot dogs and macaroni and cheese for a long time because we're going to save money 
to go to Disney. And uh, I, I, don't you love it when a plan comes together? And, and back in these days, back in these days, and many of you will remember this, you had to go down to the bank and you had to actually take the money and deposit it in an account and do all those things. We do everything. I, I do everything on my phone right now. I'm sure you're the same way. I don't even hardly ever go into the bank, but you had to go to the effort. And I can remember, it wasn't all that much money, but I can remember the excitement that I felt every week when I would go down to the bank and I would put this money towards this Disney vacation. And the time came for us to go. We went at the end of February and 1st of March one year, and we went to the airport and got on an airplane. And I'm telling you what, I don't know that I was ever more excited about anything because don't you love it when a plan comes together? And all that, all that anticipation that was growing inside of me all those months, making sure that we had a plan in place to be able to take this Disney vacation, it, it just culminated in this just exhilaration at this trip. And we went, and it was, listen, it was a budget Disney trip. We didn't stay in a Disney property. We were like the steerage people in the old cruise ships, you know. We, we rode the boat over across the water to get to the property and looked longingly at all the Disney properties that were there and stuff. But we, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the entire world. Because when I make a plan for something, I can't wait for it to happen. I kind of get that picture of what giving should be like for us when it comes to being a part of this church you know, and there should be a genuine excitement and joy that happens when we give because I love it when a plan comes together. There's a third thing, and I'm going to do this really quickly, right down next to number three. Number one, we had a principle. Number two, we had a, uh, um, I'm losing my mind, folks. What was number two? It was a plan. Oh, my goodness. Number three, we got a promise. Number three, we got a promise. Look back at the, let's just look at the entire text one more time because it's just three verses. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. There's the principle. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's the plan. And then number three, we have a promise. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. You know what that is more than anything else? That's just an extension of the principle we've already talked about, that generosity leads to the blessing of God, that whatever we receive in this life is in direct proportion to what we give. And remember what we talked about that's so important uh, contrary to what some people want to preach and teach, generosity isn't a biblical guarantee of wealth. It's a biblical guarantee of blessing, however the blessing comes. And the thing that stands out to me the most in this last verse is, the, is Paul's use of this word all. When he talks about the promise of what God will deliver to you, it's, it's undergirded by the word all. Listen to it again. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So, excuse me, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. See, we're in a series called A Generous Life. And the bottom line when it comes to generosity is we need to understand these principles and these truths from God that lead to a generous lives, that lead to generosity in our lives. Because uh, if, if, you, if you want to live a generous life, and I, I told you last week, I don't know anybody who doesn't want to live a generous life. If you want to live a generous life, then you've got to manage whatever amount of money God has entrusted to you 
whether it's a little or a lot, with a plan that leads to generosity. And as a result, you can expect the blessing of God. And just like I don't know anybody who doesn't want to live a generous life, I don't know anybody, I don't know any sane person, any wise person who doesn't want to live under the blessing of God. Father in heaven, thanks for our time together today. Thanks for the truth from your word. I pray that we can apply it to our lives in practical ways that will result in in good financial management, in financial peace, financial freedom, in generosity, and ultimately in your great blessing. Thank you for being the kind of God who wants to pour blessing into our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing before we're dismissed.